What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast production. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero here with a very special guest. You know him from the 49ers beat from the athletic. Matt Barrows is here. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. How are you? Is it just you, Rob, today? It's just me. You're stuck with me. All right. You've been covering the 49ers for 20 years this year, right? It's going to be 20? Uh, this will be my 21st. Um, if you're going a long way to say that I'm I'm old, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, quite old. And getting older all the time. I, I wasn't going to go there. I was, you know, I was going to speak to your credibility and your longevity in the market. But sure, if you want to go there, okay. Old, yes. Um, <laughs> year 21 started with Dennis Erickson. Oh. So that will kind of give you a uh, an indication of how far back it goes. So, all right, let's this just made me think of something. Did you see the survey that the NFLPA did with their players about the different teams? I thought that the 49ers graded out pretty well, which I don't know, like when you started covering the Niners, would they have graded out as well on that thing back in 2003? No, uh, not at all. Uh, ownership wouldn't, wouldn't have graded out as well. Um, they did. They always did stand out. I remember back in the early 2000s, they were one of the only teams. And this was a, uh, a residue or a result of the DeBartolo era. Uh, when they went on the road, most teams made you have a roommate um, uh, if mm-hmm. you were a player. And, and the 49ers were one of the very few teams where everybody got their own room. Um, and so that that stood out in sort of free agency circles that, you know, the 49ers were willing to spend money. That was very much a... Uh, a result of uh, of the way DeBartolo ran things. And and those teams would have been, you know, uh, far and away number one mm-hmm. with a big separation between number two. They really distinguished themselves in a lot of ways uh, back then. The one area that didn't get high marks from the 49ers was the training room, which I believe got a C minus. They said there wasn't enough room in there. Is that just a function of the fact that that room is always filled with 49ers players? <laughs> It's a great point. Um, I, you know, my my take on it is I've spent many uh, a, a long night uh, just waiting in that locker room for Nick Bosa and Trent Williams to emerge because, you know, they're, they're guys that you want to talk to after a game. And they kind of use the intimacy of those hot and cold tubs to their advantage. I mean, they really rehash the games afterwards um, and uh, exchange notes and they after a game, those two guys are together for, I don't know, a good hour or so wow. uh, talking about the game. So in, in that way, it sort of works to their favor. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it is a crowded space. Um, you know, I've never really been able to go back there. So I can't I, and I certainly don't know what the Browns facility looks like, uh, but uh, I guess they are restricted. I don't know how they would expand that where they could go. To, to make those a little bit bigger if Jed York wanted to uh, address that issue. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. Like, Jed, come on, let's go. But you're saying it's not as simple as, you know, knocking down a wall. I don't think so. I mean, um, they could move it to a different spot, but mm-hmm. then you might have, uh, you know, a long walk to get back to your your locker. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Levi's was built with the ability to have a second tenant. Um, so if the That's chargers, right. you know, needed a place to live for, uh, you know, uh, two seasons, there's a giant space that could be another full home team locker room, but it's sort of around the bend a little bit. So there is space to be used. It just wouldn't be attached to the 49ers locker room like it is now. 
Okay. The main reason I wanted to talk to you is because of your article about Brock Purdy and the S2 cognitive test. Um, I have many questions. First of all, how did this whole thing come to be? I didn't know that there was an S2 cognitive test. I didn't know any of this. How did you become aware of it? I had no idea either. I mean, a month ago, I had no idea that they were administering this. Um, I got wind of it. I was doing a story uh, involving um, Purdy's throwing coach, Will Herring, and uh, just about what they had worked on before the draft. And uh, Purdy is sort of known as the, the mini Bosa mm-hmm. uh, with the quads. And uh, Herring was telling me that, you know, that was sort of working against uh, uh, Purdy. Is that he, he was, uh, I forget what, quad forward, I think was the term. Mm. Uh, I'd never heard before. Uh, a uh, quarterback wants to throw with his hips. And Purdy was allowing his giant quads to sort of dictate his <laughs> his throwing. So I thought, okay, that's the story. And then he started telling me that, um, you know, Purdy really aced this cognitive exam. Uh, and he started to explain it. And and, and Herring didn't administer it. He's, he just kind of knew about it, knew about the scores. And I thought, okay, this is, this is the story. And so that's how I got in touch with Brandon. Ali in Nashville uh, at S2 Cognition, and uh, yeah, he corroborated. Said one of the one of the highest scores uh, among the quarterbacks, really elite, um, you know, and and super elite in some of the specific areas that they test. Uh, and he got into that a little bit as well. So uh, you know, that's and, and and the combine was coming up, and uh, they administered the test at the combine and at other places. So I thought this is the the perfect time to, uh, to discuss this. And I think it's becoming, um, you know, more and more used. Uh, I, I was reading an old story that we did in the athletic. It was from two years ago. And at that point, uh, S2 cognition had four clients. When I started talking with, uh, Brandon Alley, they had 13 clients. And mm-hmm. by the time I was done with the story, it had grown to 14 clients. So, uh, I think it's something that more and more teams are using now. Interestingly, the 49ers are not a client. I, I talked to Adam Peters about that uh, earlier this week. Uh, and he said that they use different um, companies that do similar things. He wouldn't tell me the, the combination that they used. But, um, you know, every time you ask a, uh, an NFL evaluator about a certain test, the Wonderlick or the 40 or, you know, the Recone, they all say the same thing. It, it's, it's a piece to the puzzle. Um, right. Uh, Peter's uh, exact words where it's, uh, you know, spokes on a wheel. Everything's a, a different spoke and it sort of kind of creates the the wheel that we're using to evaluate. So nobody was saying that it's the end all be all. But in Purdy's case, it was to me interesting because he had been uh, just so ordinary or even, um, you know, a little bit below average in some of the traditional measures uh, of a quarterback height and, um, you know, arm strength and, and all that stuff. So uh, to me, it, it, uh, it stood out. And it kind of blew up a little bit. It got a lot of love, at least in 49er circles. I know that was dominating the chatter. And as I'm reading this article, I'm, I was so glad you mentioned Trey Lance because I was first thing that popped in my head was like, well, how did Trey do on this test? Did he take the test? How did he do? And the quotes from Brandon Alley in the article were that he scored well, but he wasn't in the Brock Purdy range. Is that everything Brandon Alley told you about Trey's score on the record? Because I don't know if you're aware of this. Brandon did another interview 
after your article came out with uh, Marco Martinez, a 49ers content creator, and he said that Trey also scored in the elite range. Yeah, I mean, um, no, he didn't tell me anything else about the score. In fact, I pressed him on it, and he was um, you know, quick to note that he can't give me exact numbers because it's privileged information. But I, I, I was under the impression that it was in the elite range as well. Um, I think they consider anything above 80 to be elite. Yes. Uh, so I thought, I didn't know what exactly it was, but uh, I just knew that it wasn't quite the, the mid nineties, which I think is the elite of the elite, like the Joe Burrow and uh, Purdy, um, Josh Allen, he mentioned uh, Patrick Mahomes, all sort of were in that range. And that's sort of, uh, you know, a very special range. And, uh, uh, Lance's was, was good, but it wasn't quite that high. Yeah. That's, and that's what Brandon Alley told Marco. He said the okay. score was, was elite. It was not quite in the Brock Purdy range, but it was closer to Brock than the 80 cutoff line. And so that's why I was curious to ask you like what, what specifics you knew about the Lance score, because I felt like when I read that article, when I saw, Oh, Trey also scored well, my thinking, it made me think that he scored lower than apparently he did score. No, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't think he goes third overall if he, if he scored low. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I, I think Kyle Shanahan has talked about processing speed and what he sees in Trey Lance. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why this guy gets picked third overall, because uh, all of that is, is very good. Uh, so no, I don't. I, I, I hope it didn't come off that way that uh, Lance had a, a terrible score. Uh, I don't think it was terrible at all. I think it was quite good. And um, you know, the whole point of the story is that it's sort of predictive of of what these guys would do. Uh, so uh, Ali was saying that you know they looked at uh, a couple of years ago. They looked at all the starters for for whom they had scores. There there were some starters. Jimmy Garoppolo was one of them who came into the league before they started testing. So they didn't have scores for these guys. So I think it was 27. And um, of those 27 starters, 13 had uh, lifetime passer ratings of 90 or higher. And those guys all had scores in the 91st or higher percentile. And then the guys who were in that opposite range, the 14 who were below 90 uh, passer ratings, all had scores uh, lower. I mean, we're talking scores in the 60s. So certainly not elite and, and remarkably below elite. So, I mean, if it, if it is predictive and Lance is, say, in the low 90s or, you know, um, high 80s, say, that's, that's a very good indication that this guy is going to be uh, a, a very good passer over time. And I wonder, with so little film on Trey, whatever testing the 49ers might have done with him, did they almost have to give that more weight because they only had, what is it, 318 college passes to go on? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's going to be the, the, the big question, um, you know, uh, moving forward. How do you evaluate a, a guy that just didn't have a lot of, of reps? Um, and I think the 49ers, I think it's clear that they saw uh, a lot of great qualities about Trey Lance that they thought that they could – mold into something special and we're still i know this is frustrating to to so many uh fans but we're still in the in the molding process 
And that's sort of the, the irony of this offseason where you've got um, Brock Purdy uh, heading for this, this elbow injury and, and probably going to be out all of the spring and all of the summer. Uh, but it does give them the ability to kind of give Trey Lance the lion's share of the snaps for the second straight spring and summer, which I think is, is, can only be viewed as fantastic for Trey Lance and his development and, uh, you know, what everybody is, uh, is expecting with him because all of the, the raw materials are, are elite. Uh, they're, they're exactly why they, uh, the 49ers took him uh, at number three overall. The Trey Lance thing, the fact that we're still waiting from 2021 to open this Christmas present is, will be endlessly frustrating. But um, I want to go back to something that I brought up earlier with Marco Martinez. He's one of many 49ers, quote unquote, content creators that are out there. The 49ers have sort of a unique fan base and that they have a lot of people that are not beat writers that sort of cover the team. I don't know that other NFL franchises are like that uh, as one of the longest tenure beat writers, are you guys like aware of the stuff that the, the content creators are putting out there? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I wasn't aware of this specifically. Um, I've been on the East coast. I've been in, in Indianapolis, so I, yep. I may not have been in tune. Uh, I'm glad that he got Brandon alley on. Was it a podcast? Uh, yeah, it was a clutch gene sports podcast. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, got got a little bit deeper into the subject of Trey Lance and his scores than I got in my story. So uh, good job to to Marco. But uh, no, in this case, I wasn't, but only because I was preoccupied. Oh, yeah. And I, I wasn't specifically talking about this. I just kind of meant in general, because sometimes I feel like there's tension between that group of people and the beat writers. And I didn't know if if the writers looked at it like, these people don't know what they're talking about or just sort of what that relationship was like. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for beat writers. Uh, I certainly don't have any tension with, uh, with you guys or the other shows that I go on. I mean, I feel like it's um, I mean, I'm trying to get my, my goal is to get my stories in front of as many eyeballs as possible. And mm -hmm. I feel like, um, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, then, then I, I feel like you guys, I mean, it's like a, a radio show. I'm, I'm going to go on KNBR any chance I get because mm -hmm. I want listeners to hear about the stories that I'm writing uh, on the off chance that one of them will say, hey, I got I to gotta find that story, look it up, and then they become a subscriber. <laughs> we, get, we get measured on every story we do. So um, it's all about uh, eyeballs and exposure. And, um, you know, this is this is part of the process. So. Uh, to me, there's no there's no tension or, or animus or anything like that. But, you know, maybe I should ask you the question because you seem to think that there there might be some. Um, I wouldn't say tension. I would say sometimes I'm frustrated, um, but I'm I live on the East Coast. I was born and raised on the East Coast. I have a very East Coast mentality when it comes to sports fandom. Um, I. I'm a skeptic of everything all the time. And so my frustration is that I feel like there's not enough skepticism sometimes, sometimes. Skepticism towards what? Everything. Exactly? Like perfect example, Kyle Shanahan and Brandon Ayuk, the whole doghouse thing. Kyle's explanation for that never made any sense. Brandon Ayuk's hamstring is bothering him. 
So that's why he didn't get a lot of snaps, but he also put him back at punt returner in the same game. Like it never matched up. And I was, I was like, this story is bogus and it seems obvious. And I was hoping that somebody would press Kyle on it. I see. Okay. So you, 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 you want it to be a little bit more West coast and, uh, a little bit more aggressive. Uh, yes. As far as I, I would say, if I heard one common criticism, it would be that there's not as much aggression as some people like me would like. That's a, that's a fair critique. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, are you saying you don't buy the, the fact that he was in the doghouse or you don't buy the fact that the, the 49ers are saying he was never in the doghouse? I don't buy the fact that they're saying he was never in the doghouse. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was perfectly clear. And um, in fact, uh, the, <laughs> the 49ers wide receivers have, have, you know, taken a lot of chances to uh, say that Kyle is more critical of them, puts them to the grindstone far more than any other group. So uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, there was a message going on early in that t- 2021 season. Muhammad Sanu told me that Kyle shows his own film to the wide receivers. Have you heard this? Uh, no, but that doesn't surprise me a bit. I mean, <laughs> Kyle is a story that I wrote about where Kyle is home at his parents' house in Denver, and he goes to jump over a wrought iron fence. I read that. And he misjumps, mis- and he gets his thigh literally skewered. Oh, by by the spear of the fence and he's dangling there oh and his God. buddy has to lift him off and it, and it happens when he's at the university of texas and it really kind of ruins his his final season at texas um and um he had dreams of you know he, he wasn't going to be julio jones by any stretch but he had dreams of making a, a roster and and playing for a few years and uh, maybe doing a practice squad or, or something uh, of that uh, manner. And really feels like, you know, people didn't appreciate him for being the receiver that he was. Uh, the wrought iron fence story sort of causes him to go into coaching sooner than, you know, his, his, uh, his plan had been. So yeah, he, Kyle does not lack for self-confidence and, and ego. And uh, yeah, he, uh, Receiver is the position that he scrutinizes more than most because that's his position. I mean, it's quarterback and uh, and wide receiver, maybe 1A and 1B. Before I let you go, I want to hit you with some rapid-fire non-quarterback questions because I feel right. like sometimes we focus too much on the quarterbacks. First one, what are the 49ers do to replace Mike McGlinchey, who I assume and John Lynch assumes is going to be gone? Yeah, I know. And a lot of people are saying you got to use those first picks on an offensive tackle um, because, uh, you know, the 49ers just don't have a great replacement on the roster. My answer to that is that uh, the the college game and what the 49ers ask their offensive linemen to do are so different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the college game is, you know, hardly anybody is running that that wide zone and, um, you know, the pass protection is different, this, that and the other that I just think it's um, unreasonable to think that they could find somebody, especially at the end of the third round, who could step in. So um, I don't think the answer is in the draft. I think that they uh, just go with a, a mid-level free agent. And I don't know who that, that guy is, but uh, there'll, there'll be a couple of guys, and it won't be 
you know, people are not going to be happy about it. It's not going to be a big name. But I think people will understand that that's the reality for most teams. Right. But the 49ers actually had it really good for the last uh, three or four seasons. Um, you know, I know that uh, McGlinchey struggled sometimes in pass protection, but their number two tackle was better than most teams' number two tackle. Uh, and uh, that's that's ubiquitous throughout the league. I mean, uh, offensive line play, especially tackle play, is poor because the college game is so different than the one that the uh, that the NFL is running. And that's especially true for the 49ers. So I think um, uh, I think they like uh, McKivitz. I think that they'll bring in a veteran as sort of a kind of a safeguard there. Uh, and I don't know who that is, but I, I'm talking somebody who might cost. Eight million a year, whereas mm-hmm. McGlinchey is going to be 15, 16, 17 million a year. He's going to get paid. 49er fans don't realize he's going to get paid. Just just the sheer number of tackles out there is is so small. Um, and all the good ones in the draft will get taken like that. And there are a couple of good ones in the third round. Um, Matthew Bergeron from uh, Syracuse, uh, Wanya Morris from Oklahoma. Uh, those are good kind of third round guys, but I think that they go early in the third round. So if if the 49ers are going to go up and get one of those guys, they're pooling together all of their picks or a lot of their picks and moving up to get them. And and that's a possibility as well. But uh, I don't think even if they did that, it would be automatic that this guy is going to start 17 games. And Adam Peters kind of talked about the difficulties in finding offensive linemen for this system in the interview that you did with him, which is in the athletic you should go and subscribe so you can read these stories. I'm telling you, you're missing out. And your articles with David Lombardi that you do, the season kind of recap capsules where you go through the position groups are freaking amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, um, we do struggle sometimes with the kicker portion of those, <laughs> trying to stretch that into 1,500 words. But uh, yeah, we managed to do it this year because there was stuff to write about. Um, so Go and check those out. I refer to those constantly. So thank you for those. Um, next question. Nick Bosa was on with Richard Sherman, and he just kind of casually threw out when he was naming people on the defense. He said Emmanuel Mosley is going to be back. What do you know about this? I mean, it, it makes total sense. In fact, as soon as he gets injured with that ACL, as horrible as it sounds, the the thought is, well, uh, you know, maybe he comes back on a on a one year deal that's more affordable. Um, he sort of has to, as uh, like I said, as bad as it sounds, he has to reprove himself again because this injury is so serious. So uh, I know that he's thought about very fondly uh, in that locker room. Uh, he won one of the team's end of season awards that's voted on by the players. I mean, that kind of shows you where he stands in that group. And, you know, I, I think the 49ers would love that. I, I think that they thought they had a great thing going when um, Charvarius Ward and, and mostly were the two outside cornerbacks. Um, really, they, they wanted to to use uh, Diamondor Lenore as a nickel cornerback. I think that's the spot that they really see him in moving forward, him or Womack in that spot. They'd love to have sort of a competition, may the best man win. Uh, kind of similar guys, very kind of gritty, not quite the size and length that you want, but um, I think everybody saw Diamador Lenore make some some big strides from you know December into January, and uh, his yeah. confidence grew along the way as well. So that would be that would be ideal if uh, uh, mostly is back in full. He's at one spot, 
Traverius Ward is at the other spot, and D'Amador Lenore is your nickel. Last question, and I only ask this because Brandon Ayuk's going to need to get paid, and there's a, it's a salary cap league. If I had to make you choose between Debo Samuel and George Kittle, which one of those players is more likely to not finish his contract with the 49ers? Oh, my goodness. That's a tough one. I mean, they're both so critical. I, I would say Debo Samuel is more likely to not um, only because they did have the issue last year. Um, only because um, his weight has been a bit of an issue, especially when Wes Welker was his coach. Uh, I think that they've um, they've relaxed their their position on that because he's proven to them that hey, at, at two twenty, two twenty five, I can really use that weight to my advantage. But I think there's a, there's a concern there that okay, what what is the longevity at that weight? Is he going to be injured a lot? Um, this, that, and the other. There's a kind of a risk risk factor, but I mean, I, I, I like I said, I'm old. I've been covering this team for 21 seasons. His 2021 regular season and playoff run was astounding. It was magical. Uh, it was Debo versus the world, and and Debo was winning he won, both yeah. of those <laughs> those challenges. So I don't want to I don't want to say anything bad about Debo when he is on the field and he's angry. And he wants to prove something. No, you're not going to stop him. He's like a freight train. Uh, so um, it's a, uh, you know, uh, I, I, obviously the the ideal is to have both those guys together. But if you're making me choose, then um, that's my answer. Matt Barrow says Debo Samuel is definitely getting traded. Thanks for the headline. <laughs> that's that's what the headline coming out of this is going to be. No, thank you so much for the time. Again, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, go and do it. There's a ton that you are missing out on. I talk about your articles in the 49ers and 5 podcast that I do every morning as our one thing to read because there's just so much good stuff in there. So thank you very much for that, and thank you for the time today. You're welcome, Rob. Anytime. 